Podcasting from the heartland of America in the state of Missouri, this is Recovering Faith, a show about increasing or regaining faith, trusting God when it doesn't appear to make sense to do so, and coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. I am your host, Gene Curl, and I wholeheartedly welcome you to this show. Hello and welcome back to Recovering Faith. Today's episode is on the Book of Mormon, the supposed most correct book on earth. Um, Of course, um, those of us who have read the Book of Mormon and um, was not viewing it through the Mormon paradigm do not view it as the most correct book. Um, Anyhow, before I get on with the... um, with the meat of this podcast here. Uh, if you would like to be a guest on this podcast or have suggestions for topics, uh, you can get a hold of me through uh, my website, genecurl.com. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at genecurl, uh, Facebook, you can find me at genecurl. And also, um, if you'd like to check out my uh, YouTube channel, it's also genecurl. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, with that, I'll get started here. So Joseph Smith, he said about the Book of Mormon that it is the most correct book on earth and that a man would get closer to God by abiding by its precepts than any other book. I think it goes without saying that if the first part of the claim that it is the most correct book is not true, then it naturally follows that the second part of the claim is false as well which is that it will bring you closer to God than any other book. Before we even examine the Book of Mormon and what it's all about, a major issue I have with the claim Smith made is that it places the Book of Mormon higher in importance than the Bible. When anyone claims to have importance that supersedes the Bible, or when they try to denigrate the Bible in any way, they are immediately suspect in my book. As a disclaimer, I have nothing against the Latter-day Saint people, and you would be hard-pressed to find a more decent, moral, honest, and hard-working people. And I have many LDS friends and some family members. My issue is not with the people, but with the church and its false and blasphemous doctrine that cannot and will not lead to salvation. I love the LDS people, and my greatest desire is that they would Find the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and be saved. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And once the LDS people know the truth, they will be free from the false doctrines of the LDS church and free to follow Jesus, who is waiting for them with open arms. There have been hundreds of books and videos made that show the problems with the Book of Mormon, and many of them put forth compelling evidence that it can't be true much less what it is claiming to be. But the problem with any worldview, whether it's religious, political, or otherwise, is some people will choose to believe it, regardless of how much evidence there is that it is wrong, because it's easier uh, to continue to believe something that's wrong than it is to admit that you're wrong and accept a new uh, belief structure. I'll add links to some of the videos and books that show compelling evidence that the Book of Mormon is nothing 
more than a creation of Joseph Smith and his close associates. I am not, however, going to put a link to support every claim I make, as most of those sources can be easily found, and most, if not all of them, are mentioned in the videos and or books that I will link to in the footnotes of the blog and the show notes on the podcast. We don't even have to get past the introduction of the Book of Mormon before we find a demonstrably false claim, which is that the Lamanites, a supposed semantic people, are the principal ancestors of the indigenous peoples of America. The title page of the Book of Mormon claims that the indigenous peoples of America are a remnant of the House of Israel. Extensive DNA tests have shown conclusively that the indigenous peoples of North America and South Central America are not descended from the Jews or any other people from the Middle East, but are from Asia. Some Mormon apologists try to get around this particularly thorny issue by claiming that Lehi, the father of two of the major groups in the Book of Mormon, is not from the tribe of Judah and therefore is not Jewish. Of course, the title, page, the title page says that they are from the house of Israel. And the Book of Mormon says Lehi was descended from Manasseh, so he was supposed to be from the line of Abraham, clearly a Middle Eastern people. The DNA tests show no Middle Eastern blood in any of the indigenous peoples in North, South, or Central America. Also, in the title page, it says that Jesus Christ is the eternal God, but that conflicts with later official LDS doctrine that Jesus was created by the Father and did not eternally exist. Eternal is defined as being without beginning or end, and valid, in all ex valid or existing in all times. So, if there was ever a time that Jesus did not exist, or that he was not God, as is acclaimed by LDS doctrine, then the Book of Mormon fails the most correct book claim before you even get past the title page. Of course, according to the Bible, the ultimate resource on God, Jesus is eternal and was and is God eternal. The introduction says that the Book of Mormon contains, as does the Bible, the fullness of the everlasting gospel. Either the claim that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel is false, or else Joseph Smith had no idea what fullness meant when he wrote the title page. Otherwise, there would be no need for the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Prize, or other canonized LDS scriptures. If the Bible and the Book of Mormon contain the fullness of the everlasting gospel, then there is no need for more. And if anything else comes along and claims that it's the gospel, it must therefore be a lie. The Book of Mormon title page claims that the golden plates were translated by the power of God. But what it doesn't say is that Joseph Smith did not look at the plates to translate them and did not use the Urim and Thummim. Instead, he put a special rock a, called a seer stone in his hat and he stuck his face in the hat uh, to close out all light and he said... He claimed to have the characters and the translations show up on the rock, and he would dictate in English the translation to a scribe. The title page also says that everyone who obeys the laws and ordinance of the gospel will be saved. But the problem is, the Book of Mormon is said to contain the fullness of the gospel, 
and yet it does not contain most of what the Elias Church considers saving ordinances, such as baptisms for the dead, temple initiatory and endowment, work for the dead, etc. The title page also mentions God the Eternal Father. But if LDS doctrine by Joseph Smith and other leaders is to be believed, then the God they serve was not always God, and was once a man like us, who, through obedience to his God, became a God and is now doing what his God did. A God that has a beginning is not an eternal God, and certainly not the eternal God. The next problematic text we get to is the testimony of the three and the eight witnesses. Joseph Smith, and not the witnesses, wrote the testimonies, and then the witnesses were coerced into signing it. All of the three witnesses fell away from the church, and uh, while it is true that Oliver Cowdery and Martin Harris eventually came back to the church, David Whitmer never did. None of the three witnesses ever outright denied their testimony of the gold plates. But Martin Harris said that he did not see the gold plates or the angel with his, earth, with his uh, earthly eyes, just his spiritual eyes. And those who are familiar with him said that he always had fanciful tales and was given to visions and imaginations. Out of the eight witnesses, three of them fell away. And three of the ones who remained faithful were Smiths, immediate family members of, the Joseph, of Joseph Smith's family. The next section is Joseph Smith's testimony. And one of the things that critics bring up about the origin of the Book of Mormon is that it seems suspect at best that the golden plates would just happen to be buried close to where Joseph Smith lived. But of course, if the book had actually come forth by divine means, as is the claim, then I see no logical reason why God could not have worked things out to get Smith to the right area at the right time. Full disclosure, though, I don't believe anything to do with the origin of the Book of Mormon or the LDS Church was divine or anything other than a fraud. Early on in Smith's testimony, he says the book, that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel, which means that anything that came later can't be part of the gospel, including all of the later writings by Smith himself. Besides the claim that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel, I have a few other issues with Joseph Smith's testimony, including how important he made the Urim and Thummim sound, despite the fact that he never used them in the translation process. Not even once. In Smith's testimony, he says that he was told by the angel that if he showed the plates to anyone besides who he was commanded to show them to, that he would be destroyed, which to some might sound divine, but to me it sounds like a clever plan to hide the fact that he didn't actually have any golden plates. Joseph Smith claimed that the angel Moroni visited his room three times and each time the room was lit up brighter than noonday, and each time the angel repeated the same thing to him. My issue with this story is that I've been to the house that these heavenly visitations supposedly took place in, and the room Joseph Smith slept in was small and cramped, and he shared it with his brothers, and the light would have shone downstairs as well. I have a difficult time believing that an angel lit up the house for the entire night, and everyone else just slept through it. 
especially Joseph's brothers who share the room with him. Joseph claimed that after he translated the plates, the angel took them back. And I have several issues with this. First, God is not a God of confusion and would not go out of his way to hide evidence of his existence or proof of his gospel. With the Bible, we have massive amounts of evidence outside of the Bible itself to corroborate the Bible. But with the LDS Church, we have nothing. It would give an astounding amount of credibility to the Book of Mormon to have the plates. And if Joseph Smith never did have the plates, or made some plates to fool people, as many historians believe, it would make sense for him to claim that the angel took them back. It also doesn't make sense that after the plates were taken that the stone box that they were supposedly hidden in was nowhere to be found. There is no logical reason to believe the angel would have uh, would have to take the stone box to heaven to protect the plates. After all, you would imagine heaven is a pretty safe place. When I visited the Hill Cumorah in New York, which uh, for those of you who uh, aren't into the Mormon church, that is where... Uh, Joseph Smith said that the golden plates had been buried by the angel Moroni, and that is where he found them. And the church has a visitor center there now. So when I visited there this summer, I asked if the church had ever looked for evidence there to support the Book of Mormon, including all the major battles that supposedly happened there. And they said that they did, but they found nothing. Many LDS apologists try to cover this by saying that there were two Hilcomoras, one in South America where the battles took place, and the other where Moroni buried the plates. A careful reading of the Book of Mormon, though, strongly suggests that Mormon hid the plates in the area where the last big battle between the Nephites and Lamanite took place, and therefore where the plates were buried would have been the same place where the battles took place. Mormons say that there is no way Joseph Smith could have written the Book of Mormon in such a short time if he made it up. But if you consider his story about the timeline when he first claims to have told people about his visions, then that would have given Joseph Smith from 1820 to 1830, 10 years to come up with a story, and that is more than enough time, especially if his close associates helped him with it and there is a lot of evidence that at least some of them did help him above just writing down what he said. There have also been many books written in a shorter amount of time than what the Book of Mormon was written, many of which were authored by people with credentials no greater than what Smith had. I have a lot of issues with the LDS Church, including many about the origins of the Book of Mormon, but I will stick to, I will stick to only things that are written in the Book of Mormon. Even before getting into the actual book, I found a lot of problems in the introduction, testimonies, etc. But there are also multitudes of problems with the actual book. One of the first issues I have with the Book of Mormon is that uh, there is a man named Lehi, and he is preaching that there will be a Messiah, and the Jews mocked him for it. Let me be clear in this. No Jew would mock anyone for saying that there will be a Messiah as that is a central belief in Judaism and is found throughout the Torah. When Jesus came along, the Jews did not hate him because they did not believe that there would not be a Messiah, but rather they hated him because they did not believe that he was the Messiah. That's a major difference. Even today, Jews believe that there will be a Messiah. They just believe that he has not yet come. 
In 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 7, it talks of Lehi offering sacrifices to God. And there is one major problem with this. Lehi, who said, it says in the Book of Mormon was a sin of Manasseh, was not a Levite, and therefore he had no right to offer sacrifices. And Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, uh, 8 through 11, and 13 through 14 says explicitly that sacrifices are only acceptable if they are offered at the temple. Other than what is written in the Book of Mormon, I have issues with how it was written. For a book that was supposedly written in Hebrew and then rewritten in Reformed Egyptian before being translated into English in the 1830s, it makes absolutely no sense for it to be written in, old, in the Old English instead of the Common English that was spoken at the time. I personally believe that one of the reasons for the Book of Mormon being written in Old English was so that the plagiarized sections from the King James Version of the Bible would not be so obvious. Another reason for the Old English was to make it appear more scriptural, as the King James Version of the Bible was the only Bible that most people had in the 1800s. In 1 Nephi 2.20, it talks about America being choice above all other lands. And while I am the most patriotic person that most people will ever meet, and I personally think that America is the greatest. God does not favor one nation above another, and the only place the Bible ever talks of as being the chosen land is the Holy Land, the land of uh, Jerusalem. A little later in 1 Nephi, Lehi and his, uh, sorry, Lehi and his family flee from Jerusalem uh, because the Jews are trying to kill him as a result of being upset about Lehi's preaching. But Lehi decided that before they headed out to the new promised land, they must get the scriptures that are written on brass plates that a fellow named Laban had. I'm sure I will mention this in later detail, but a lot of the scriptures in the Book of Mormon that the Book of Mormon people supposedly had from the brass plates had not yet been written at the time Lehi and his family supposedly left the Holy Land for the Americas. After a few failed attempts by Lehi's sons at getting the brass plates, Nephi, uh, the most faithful son, sneaks into the city and finds Laban laying on the street, passed out drunk. God tells Nephi to cut off Laban's head with Laban's own sword, which is described as being made out of the most precious steel. And of course, iron swords were not even invented yet and would not be until around 1400 B.C., and steel was not invented until the 8th century. No steel of any kind, especially swords, was to be found in the Holy Land until the Roman invasion and occupation many years later. Lehi supposedly left Jerusalem around 600 BC, and the Roman occupation started in 63 BC, so steel was not around until a little over 500 years later. I also have trouble believing that a man of stature and power would just be lying in the alley, passed out drunk by himself in the middle of the night. After Lehi and his family fled from the city and were in the wilderness, and throughout the book, they offered sacrifices to God. And the Book of Mormon says that they were descendants of Joseph. But according to Jewish law, only Levites could offer sacrifices, and again, 
only at the temple. So Lehi and his family offered illegal sacrifices. From several places in the Torah and the Old Testament, we learn that God was not happy with unauthorized sacrifices and punished the people for them, sometimes severely. My next issue is in 1 Nephi 7, where Lehi, uh, where Lehi tells his family about a vision he had. And the vision is almost identical to one that Joseph Smith's father claimed to have had many years before Joseph Smith ever mentioned any visions or heavenly visitations. Many people, including myself, believe that Joseph Smith added his father's story of his claimed vision to the Book of Mormon. Anyhow, in the story, once people partake of the Tree of Life, a lot of them are ashamed because of other people are making fun of them. My problem with that is that the Tree of Life is supposed to be the pure love of God. And if someone were to experience the pure love of God, I doubt they would be ashamed of it. In 1 Nephi 10.17, it talks about the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost, also known as the Helper, was not present until after the death of Christ, as we read in John 16.7. It says, but very, uh, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Clearly, the Holy Ghost, or the Advocate, was not on the scene as he is today until after Jesus died. In 1 Nephi chapter 11, verse 33, it says that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. But from the Bible, we know that he was born in Bethlehem. Some Mormon apologists will say that Bethlehem is in the land of Jerusalem, but that idea is, for, is foreign to Jewish people, and they would never refer to it that way. Also, Bethlehem is not right next to Jerusalem, and there are many towns in between the two. Uh, in a video I watched about the Book of Mormon, uh, they interviewed some Jewish scholars in Jerusalem and they didn't tell them what the issue was or why they were asking them the question, but they asked them if Bethlehem could be described as the land of Jerusalem. And they basically treated them like they're crazy and they was like, no, of course not. And they asked them, well, is there any circumstance in which Jerusalem could be, or Bethlehem could be considered part of the land of Jerusalem? And they were like, no, not at all. And so, but uh, when you want to support your cause, sometimes people will do anything they can to support it so they don't have to accept anything new or accept the fact that they're wrong. In 1 Nephi 13, it talks about the Native Americans, whose skin supposedly turned dark because of sin, and they became savages because of sin. And they were punished, uh, said that they were later punished by the white people because of their sins, which is not a very charitable view of the indigenous peoples of the American continent. The claim that the indigenous peoples of America are in any way from the lineage of Abraham is not supported by science and is in fact proven to be false by genetic tests. Also, in the 13th and 14th chapters of 1 Nephi, we find what the LDS Church actually thinks of the Bible and other churches. If you were to ask an alias person, he or she would say, all churches have truth, but we have all the truth. 
and we believe in the Bible so long as it's translated correctly. However, the Book of Mormon says that all other churches are of the devil, and that the Bible is unreliable because it has been corrupted and changed by evil men, and as we have it today, the Bible leads people astray. Mormons believe that the Book of Mormon is far superior to the Bible. So, of course, they believe what it teaches about the Bible and what it teaches about other churches. I've mentioned it before, but when I was on my mission, another missionary threatened to kill me because I told him not to tell people in other churches that their churches were of the devil. Uh, not only was it rude, but you come across like way to people and they're never going to listen to you. Uh, there is overwhelming, compelling evidence that the Bible was not corrupted or changed and that uh, what we have now is what the original writer said. And we have thousands of ancient manuscripts of the Bible, but we have no ancient manuscripts from the Book of Mormon, just what Joseph Smith wrote. In this light, the Bible is infinitely more reliable than a book that was written in the 1800s by a young man who was commonly believed to be a con man. There are a lot of places in the Book of Mormon where it prophesies of Joseph Smith, and faithful LDS members take that as proof that the book was divine. But those on the outside see it as evidence that Smith wrote himself into the book to appear more important to his followers and as a way to support his claim with self-fulfilling prophecies. If I wrote a book, and the book mentioned me, that would not be divine assurance that I was a prophet, but rather proof that I had an overinflated ego. In 1 Nephi 14, it speaks of a hell that hath no end. But current LDS doctrine does not support the traditional view of hell, and it teaches that almost everyone born will go to some degree of glory, and that only a few will go to outer darkness, which is similar to the traditional hell. In fact, the only people believed to go to outer darkness, or what most people think of as hell, are people who know for certain that the LDS church is true and still fight against it, and of course the devil and his angels. So, under that view, even Hitler and those like him were given some glory when they died, and did not go to hell. Also, in the 14th chapter in the book of 1 Nephi, yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this chapter. It says that Nephi was shown all that John saw and wrote in the book of Revelations, but that Nephi was forbidden to write it. And it also says that the people that people don't understand the writings of John because they were corrupted. Since it says that that what John wrote or John wrote was important and was sacred, and since it was known that it would be corrupted, why was Nephi forbidden to write it? If we assume the Book of Mormon is true, then God knew that the Bible, and specifically the Book of Revelations, would confuse people and cause them to go astray, and he allowed it. However, the Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion in uh, 1 Corinthians 14.33. So that is uh, not something that God would have done. A lot of LDS leaders and people have compared Lehi and his family leaving Jerusalem and heading to the Americas to the exodus out of Egypt. 
But we're the children of Israel, we're led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Lehi and his family were given a brass ball of curious workmanship that was basically like a compass that worked like a magic eight ball, where you ask it a question and it gives the answer or points you to the direction you should go. Why would God provide the children of Israel a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and lead the people of Lehi by giving them a magic compass? That story makes no sense at all. Later, in 1 Nephi, uh, chapter 16, verse 18, it says that Nephi broke his fine steel bow and could obtain no food. And I have several issues with this. First, there is zero possibility that anyone, especially someone from the Holy Land, had anything made of steel in in 600 B.C. Even if we are to assume that it was iron and not steel, it would still not be possible. Secondly, there is no reason why Nephi or one of the others could not have made snares, traps, slings, or come up with any other method of hunting that people had done for a long time before this. In verse 15, it mentions that Nephi had stones and a sling, so why didn't he use those? In chapter 17, it mentions that they ate raw meat. And the book claims that they were living the Law of Moses. The problem with that is, the Law of Moses specifically prohibits eating raw meat. And you can see that for yourself in Genesis chapter 9 verse 4. It's interesting that in Nephi chapter 17 verse 41, it talks about the children of Israel and the serpents that were sent among them and how many of them refused to look upon the brass serpent that Moses held because they thought that it was too easy, and as a result, they died. The basic point being not to overlook the gospel because it appears too easy. The interesting thing about that is the LDS Church spurns traditional Christianity because they say it is too easy and that we are not saved by grace alone, but we have to work out our own salvation by works and following ordinances and rules. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 teaches us that, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. First Nephi chapter 18 verse 25 says, And it came to pass that we did find upon the land of promise, as we journeyed in the wilderness, that there were beasts in the forest of every kind, both the cow and the ox and the ass and the horse, and the goat, and the wild goat, and all manner of wild animals, which were for the use of men. And we did find all manner of ore, both gold and of silver and of copper. There are a lot of problems with the above-mentioned verse. Not least among them are the wild animals that they supposedly found on the American continent. No cattle were in the Americas before the European settlers brought them over. And about the wild ox... An ox is nothing more than a castrated bull. There is no possibility that a wild ox would be found, or that ox would be found in the wild. As to make an ox, you have to take a bull and castrate it. And bulls certainly don't castrate themselves. Goats are also not native to the Americas and were brought over by the Europeans. And before anyone points out the mountain, uh, points out the mountain goats. 
Nephi made the distinction between what we would think of as farm animals and mountain goats by saying the goat and the wild goat. So while mountain goats are native to North America, no other types of goats are. Horses and donkeys were also not native to the Americas and were brought over by the Europeans. There is also the issue of all the ore, such as gold, silver, and copper, that was mentioned. According to the Book of Nephi, it was a fairly small group of people that came over on the ship, and most of them were women, children, and elderly. So it is not feasible that as soon as they arrived, they would undertake a massive mining operation. If you have ever seen a copper mine, then you would immediately know that it is not something such a small group of people with such limited means could have accomplished. In 1 Nephi 19.10, it says that the sign of the death of the Messiah would be three days of darkness, a prophecy that was supposedly fulfilled later in the Book of Mormon. But the problem with this is, when Jesus died, it was only dark for three hours in the Holy Land. So there is no logical reason why it would be dark for three days on the other side of the world. And there is no justi uh, biblical justification for this. In almost every aspect, Joseph Smith tried to make the Book of Mormon one-up the Bible, like an annoying cousin. If you climbed the local mountain, your cousin climbed Mount Everest. If you dated the homecoming queen, your cousin claimed to have dated a supermodel. All through the Book of Mormon, the people are supposedly given information that the writers of the Bible would not have for many years sometimes for hundreds of years. Around this time in the narrative, the Book of Mormon starts quoting Isaiah. And what makes it apparent that Joseph Smith just copied verses out of the King James Version of the Bible here and throughout the Book of Mormon is that many of the Isaiah verses that are quoted could not have been known by Lehi, uh, Lehi and his family as they were written after the Jewish exile into Babylon. And that occurred at least 40 years after Lehi and his family left Jerusalem. So there's no way that Lehi and his family would have had these writings by Isaiah that were written 40 years after they left Jerusalem and went to the, to the Americas. Another problem is some of the Bible verses quoted in the Book of Mormon have errors that are unique to the 1769 King James Version of the Bible which is the version that most people had in, in America in, in the 1800s, and it is certainly the version that Joseph Smith had. Toward the end of 1 Nephi, it claims that some of the verses from Isaiah were spoken to the Lamanite descendants of Lehi, believed by the Mormons to be the principal ancestors of the American Indians. However, there is no way that these verses were spoken to the American Indians because they were for the children of Israel, and science has proven that the Native Americans are, in, are not in any way related to any of the Israelite people or Middle Eastern people. There are many, many more problems with the Book of Mormon, but I only have time in this episode to cover a few of the multitudes of errors in the introduction, the title page, and 1st Nephi. I plan on covering the errors in the entire Book of Mormon, but I will have to, it'll have to be done in segments as there is just so much to cover. As always, thanks for listening, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
a new episode goes live every Wednesday. If you have questions, comments, have suggestions for a future episode, or if you would like to be a guest, you can contact me through my website, genecurl.com. Remember, it's gene like the unit of biological heredity and curl like a curl on your head. Please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever streaming service you use. God bless you and keep you till the next episode.